We are in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and we're reading from verse, we'll we'll pick it up again in verse 1, and this is going to start us into deep instruction for our own good. Prior to this, he was dealing with theology, then he was dealing with, with telling us about Israel and what he intended for Israel and for the Gentiles, but now he's getting into instruction for us. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3 of Romans 12. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of it, members of one of one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, <clears throat> each of us is to exercise them according, accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. <clears throat> okay, so, it, we covered... Chapter 12, verse 1, last week, where when we come into Christ, we are taken from a state of slavery to sin, the scriptures say, to a place of freedom. And then what he does is he urges us to become bond slaves of Christ. We do not go from slavery to sin to slavery to Christ. We go from slavery to sin to freedom And then in chapter 12, verse 1, he urges us. He doesn't command us, because you can't command somebody to become a bond slave, because a bond slave is willingly to give of oneself for the Lord. It is a willingness to do this. And so what he is doing is he is willingly giving of himself. And he urges us to do it. And now in verse 2, we'll pick it up, because we we spent a long time in verse 1. Last week, we'll pick it up in verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, <clears throat> but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We talked about it last time, how this will change our lives. This word will change your life. It will make you a better person. It will make you a person who is more more easily to live with, to be around with, to, to be around, to work with. This is the pattern for changing your life. So what he's got is he's got for us a list of instructive things. A list of instructive things. He's listing things out and instructing us to follow in a certain way, to follow in a certain pattern. And it is immediately within ourselves to begin to resist this. I know how to live. I know how to act. I know how to do things. And as soon as we find that Rising up in ourselves, that is an indication we do not know how to live, we do not know how to act, we do not know what is right. As soon as we feel ourselves resisting the Word of God, it is a clear indication that we are sinners. 
Alright? So what we're going to hear is we're going to hear a list of things to change our lives. If there is resistance in us, just remember that is the sin nature that he says you have to transform. You have to change your life. And that's exactly the words that are used here in verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. You have to change. You're going to be transformed. And the grace of God is there. He does not leave us alone in this. When He gives us instruction, He gives us all that we need to walk in that instruction. We can't say, oh, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm just not really good at this. You know, I'm just kind of shy and everything. The Bible tells us something quite different. For example, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, 2 Timothy 1, 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. God has not given us this this spirit of timidity, well, oh, well, you know, I really can't accomplish anything, you know. And no, He hasn't given us this. This is not of Him. He has given us a spirit of power and love and discipline. Many students come to me, they want to know, how can you have such a disciplined life? How can you? God gives discipline. God gives it. And if you lack discipline, ask of Him. Say, Lord, give me more. I lack discipline in my life. Give me more. He will. In James chapter 4, verse 2, it says, We do not receive because we do not ask. So we'd better start learning how to ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach. And so he says in, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world. You are not to be like this world. We're not to be like the people of this world. <clears throat> and it's very easy sometimes to look at somebody and say, That's the way I ought to act. That's the way I ought to be. But he... He's saying, we're not to be of the people of this world. We're not to act like them. You know, you, well, maybe if I just pounded my fist on the table like that other guy, things would go better for me. It would go better for you. It would not go better for you. It's when we walk in the likeness of Christ that things go better for our lives. That person who's pounding on the table, things go very rough for them. Because whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. So, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is a renewal of our mind. Remember we talked about it last time. This, our word of metamorphosis comes from this, this Greek term that's used here. There's, there's a renewing of our mind. There's a changing of our mind <clears throat> so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. You want to walk in that which is good? You want to work, walk in that which is acceptable? You want to walk in that which is perfect? You got it. You know, so often people are looking for a role model. Women are looking for role models. What does it mean to be a woman? Men are looking for role models. What does it really mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a man? And for, you know, you know, there was a time in my life I thought you had to be big and strong and handsome and have, you know, a girl hanging off of each arm to be a real man. I did. But that's the world's version. That's not the version that's in Jesus Christ. And when we come to the Lord, we see what it means to be a man, where Jesus is our image of a real man. Jesus is our image. Total self-donation. Total self-donation, one for the other. Always in the other's best interest. That is the image of a man. Always working in the other's best interest. Always working in the best interest of your spouse. Always working, this is in the best interest of another. That is what Jesus <clears throat> demonstrated to us. Total self-donation, one for the other. What does it be, mean to be a woman? The God, God gives us models for this. He gives us a model in Mary. 
He gives us a model. Total self-donation, one for another. Let it be done according to thy will, O God. Let it be done. I am your servant. Let it be done according to thy will. I will bear this shame of, of becoming pregnant before I am married. I will bear this shame of people thinking that, that I'm an adulteress. I will bear this shame. Let it be done according to thy will. A total self-donation, one for another. That's what it means to be transformed. This is the image of a man. This is the image of a woman. I was teaching a Bible study a number of years ago. I used to teach a, a Bible study to the Houston Astros baseball team <clears throat> during their home stands. And I'd go to the stadium, and it was about uh, something around 2 p.m. or something. I think it ran 2 to 3 p.m. because about 3 p.m. they had to begin to get ready to go down on the field. And, and, I, and I said, how many of you, how many of you really feel like a real man. I said, because my son puts your picture, your pictures on his wall in his room. How many of you really feel like real men? Nobody raised their hand. And I said, I know exactly what you mean. Exactly what you mean. Because we fall short. Because the image of Christ for us, the image of Christ, that is the image of a man for us. And so he says, you're going to have to be transformed. So let me, and, and, and he says, that you're going to prove what the will of God is. You're going to prove it. You are going to show what the will of God is through this change in your life. You're going to start walking in that which is good, that which is acceptable, and that which is perfect. You're going to learn this, and we are going to learn what it means. Now, let me tell you a little bit about my life and something that happened to me. When I was... At the end of my, so I got saved in my freshman year. At the end of my sophomore year, I started really getting involved with a local church. And the pastor had two discipleship houses for men and one discipleship house for women. So he had owned these three homes, which were near the church. The church actually met in a, in a room on campus. And, and, uh, um, he, he, uh, he invited me to move into this discipleship house. And I'm thinking, and my first response is, no, I got a very good place to live. I was living, I had a beautiful room in a beautiful house near campus that I was renting. Really clean house, warm house, nice, comfortable house. Had my own room and everything was wonderful. And then when I told him no, he didn't say anything, but it was as if God was speaking to me. And I felt very, very uncomfortable with that answer, no. And uh, within a month, I had agreed to move into the, the discipleship house. Now, those discipleship houses, they had one nice one and one ratty one. And I was to move into the ratty one because that's the only one there was room in. And to tell you how ratty it was, it was, I don't know if it had rats in it, but it certainly had a lot of mice. It had a lot of mice. And it was in Syracuse, New York. I was at Syracuse University. And, and they took me into this house all the doors had big holes. And I was going to share a room with, with two other guys. There were going to be ten guys in this house. It had two bathrooms, ten guys. But the toilet in one of the bathrooms worked. It didn't work in the other. The shower in the other bathroom worked, not in the other. So <clears throat> you're going to have to go between two different bathrooms, one upstairs and one downstairs, to, to get done with all your business if you, if you, if you wanted to do that. And... and uh, um, Big holes in the door and mice all over. I used to set traps. I would set a trap and I would turn to my friend and say, there would be a couple guys there. I said, I just set a trap right over there. Just listen. We're going to catch... Boom! The thing would go off. 
just it would happen so quickly because there were these holes in the in the edges where they would come up from the basement and you put it right by these holes and I'd put a little peanut butter on the trap and just catch them so quickly. I mean, you you could just sit there all day and catch mice. And then the 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 um the furnace didn't work. So it would it would be cozy and everything and then you'd go to sleep. And sometime during the night the furnace would turn off. And Syracuse, New York is very cold in the wintertime and you could see your breath. You, you, in, in, I'd wake up in the morning, and I was always up in the morning for prayer long before the other guys. So I would have to go down and relight this furnace. And so I'd be shivering in this basement, and, and uh, there's this furnace, and I'd be trying to light this thing, and I'm freezing. My hand's just shaking. It's so cold because the basements are really cold. And and uh, um, and I put this, you know, that the, the, it ignites. And, and and you know the other guys would later wake up and they think oh nice cozy house here but every morning i had to do this and and uh but that wasn't even the hard part of the d- discipleship house the hard part was the constant correction constant correction i was constantly being corrected uh um uh for 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 things that i remember um the guys were doing dishes and i was helping the first night and and i i i took all the silverware and I dumped it into the silverware <clears throat> uh, a drawer. And one guy said to me, what are you doing? I said, I put away the silverware. He says, that's not how you do it. And he put spoons in the spoons thing and forks. And I said, I, I didn't think it mattered. I mean, they're all there. I mean, you, you can see there's a fork. That's a spoon. Take what you want. And he said, you have a lot to learn. And I had a lot to learn because they did things very, very differently. And this verse would be quoted to me. So they quoted to me Proverbs 12.1, which says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. <laughs> and and uh, um, so this is the verse that they would quote to me. And I felt, I just, at first I felt so just overrun by this, that everything I did was wrong. Everything I said was wrong. And, and, uh, um, but it was such good training for me. It equipped me for marriage. I knew by the time I was married that you put spoons in a certain category and forks in another category. I learned how to do dishes. I learned how to cook. I learned never to take a shower in the house. I would only shower at the gym on campus because it wasn't worth the trouble of trying to fight for that. And, and uh, so I only showered on campus. And, and uh, um, But I learned things. There are things that you learn. There's disciplines that you learn in life. There are instructions for us, and they're not always comfortable, but in the end, they are very good for us. That prepared me very much for marriage, as difficult as it was to be married to me. That that uh, um, it would have been much worse for Shireen if I had not gone through two years in that discipleship house, learning how to clean up after others, learning how to do things for others. There is instruction that he has for us that is very good, that affects our lives, and is good for us. That's what he's saying, and you're going to prove what the will of God is. Through your life, you're going to prove it in verse 2 of Romans 12. Through your life, you're going to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then through that house, I grew so much spiritually being around other guys, and I'd see the struggles that other young men would have. And then it wasn't so bad for me, because I, I'd learned that my struggles are not so bad. There's, there's people who have these same struggles. Then there's people who have other struggles that I don't have. And so being around 
these men and, and living with them it was very good for us and there were 10 of us in this house and it was it was it was good training for me and and I learned I learned how to sleep on the floor for an entire year I slept on the floor in a sleeping bag and it, and it would get so cold in that house I would sleep with my boots on in the sleeping bag and and uh, um, but that was good for me. I learned how to sleep on the floor. So whenever something happens and I have to sleep on the floor, it's no problem. I know how to do that. And and the floor would get very cold at night. There was no mattress. There were no air mattresses back in those days. I had never heard of a of an air mattress back in those days. So so you just put your 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 sleeping bag on the floor and go to sleep. It was good for me. That was good training. Verse three. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. So he says, through the grace given to me. Paul says, I've been given grace. He's referring to his apostleship. He is going to start going through spiritual gifts here. So a spiritual gift is a God-given ability for service. A spiritual gift is a God-given ability for service. And that service is predominantly and firstly to the body of Christ. It's predominantly and firstly to the body of Christ and then to others around us. It is a spiritual gift. It is a God-given ability for service. He's saying the grace that's been given to me as an apostle, I'm now instructing you what to do. Because later on, he's going to say in verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, so he's saying we've all been given grace. That which has been given to me, in, 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 in my, in, in my apostleship, that which has been given to me, I am now instructing you. And so that's what he says in, in verse three. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to, but so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So right up front, before he starts telling us about spiritual gifts, he first starts with humility. Because very often, what can happen with a spiritual gift is we think that that is somehow of myself. And we start becoming uh, 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 proud about this thing. And he starts off with humility. He says, don't think more of yourself than you ought to think. Just remember from where you came. Just remember what's really in you. And you can often tell whether people know the Lord or they don't know the Lord, by their attitude of humility when you speak with them, by their ad- attitude of judgment when you speak to them. And and I was just talking, for example, just this past week with a colleague of mine. And we're talking about another colleague at another university who had been, been found guilty of a particular crime. And he goes, the guy's a crook. The guy's a crook. And I would never say such words because what that guy did and was found guilty of, many, many people do. And, and, uh, it was not reporting some gifts that had been given to him on his income tax. And, and, uh, we're talking about how he had about twenty or thirty thousand dollars that he had not reported. Well, let me tell you something. Twenty or twenty or thirty thousand dollars unreported is a very small number. I know to you students that sounds like a whopping number. Let me tell you something. <laughs> That's a very small number for many people not to report. And he was found guilty. And this guy's saying, and he's a crook. And uh, I would never do that. 
because because I know you know when when you have money flowing in from different consulting things and from this thing and that it can be very easy to forget to record something and it's not that you're a crook sometimes you just forget to record something because if you have different avenues coming in you guys don't know what I'm talking about because you don't make any money there's going to come a day when you start making money that come in from different streams and you're going to say this is kind of tough to make sure you do everything right here and so anyway it says it says you got to walk in humility God has allotted to each person. He's given to each person a measure of faith. He's given this to each person. Sometimes he gives a little more faith in one area to another. And sometimes you're like, well, why can't you do this? Well, it's easier for you because you've been allotted more than I have in that particular category. And, and so this is why we, when we look at our own lives and we might struggle with something, there's somebody else that's not struggling with that. Well, they have other struggles that they struggle with. So verse... verse uh, Verse 4, for just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Do you see what he's doing? He is speaking so strongly about the church. He says, in the church, in the body of Christ, one person has this gift, another person has this gift, and he's going to start bringing us through this. But what I want to underscore here is the importance of the church. The church, the body of Christ, it is so important. And, and as, as, as Pastor Roger has been po- pointing out, in when there's been other disasters like 9-11, when we lost 3,000 people on, in a single day, and I know some of you here weren't even alive at that time, uh, but people were coming to the church trying to, to, to see, you, you know, trying to get help. In this pandemic, people have fled from the church. And it's sad because they don't understand the power of the body of Christ, of the church. We are individual members that have each been given gifts. And collectively, there is this enormous power collectively among us when you start pooling these gifts. When you start pulling these gifts together, there's this enormous power amongst us that you cannot get on your own. When you look at me, you're looking at a product. When you look at Jim Tour, you're looking at a product of the church. You're looking at a product of Christian education. You say, well, you're a Jew, you understand. No, I didn't learn anything as a Jew. I didn't learn anything. I mean, I was in the synagogue twice a year. I resented the, the, the rabbis. I didn't care for them. And I didn't learn anything as a Jew. Anything that I have learned, I have learned as a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, I read now a lot of, of messianic literature things that are written by Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. So that's how I learn all these things. But everything that I learn, I am a product of the church. When I started getting involved in a church, it was at the end of my sophomore year where I started understanding the church and the power of it because I was saved through a parachurch organization, the Navigators. And I'm, I'm deeply appreciative to them. But when I became part of a church, I saw there, there were little kids births happening and there were people that were old and dying you had this entire spectrum in the church it wasn't like the campus group where all we had were everybody's everybody's you know 18 years old but you have this entire spectrum and you see all the phases of life in one composite in the church 
and you see the struggles that go on in people's lives in different phases. You see the struggles of young people with their exams and their struggle with, with sex and with lust and all of these things. And then you see the struggles of young married couples and the struggles they have in marriage. You see the struggles of older couples and, and uh, if, if one of them loses the job and then the struggles they have with their teenage children, things that are happening in their lives. And then you see the struggles that go on in the lives of older people. This is the composite of the church. You see the wisdom of older people and how much knowledge they have. How these older women can be instructing younger women to love their husbands, learning how to serve, learning how to be diligent. The body of Christ is so utterly important. I will bet you, you will not grow very deep in the Lord Jesus Christ unless you become part of a local church. I'll bet you, you can't. You cannot. I have even seen campus pastors in parachurch organizations. And I love parachurch organizations and I couple with them and our church couples with them. Doesn't look at them as enemies. Couples with them, supports them, supports people in them. But people in parachurch organizations, when their life is around the parachurch organization, they never grow very much. I've watched them. And I've watched them because they become part of that. They don't understand the body of Christ and as soon as they stop Working in that parachurch organization, they quickly start drifting away. They quickly start drifting away if they are not part of the body of Christ. And this is why even as a student, it's important to learn how to function in the body of Christ. A very important thing. Because the parachurch organization does not give this to you. To learn how to be submitted to elders. To have leadership. If the pastor were to say to me, Jim, we think you know, there should be a change in the college class and somebody else should be teaching it. That very day I would step down because I serve at the pleasure of the leadership. That's what I do. I serve at the pleasure of the leadership. Now I may say, tell me about this. What was I doing wrong? But I would step down because I serve at their pleasure. I understand leadership and I understand from the word of God. When we buck against leadership, we're going to have trouble. Now, there's many things that I have not agreed on. With, with leadership on in my life many times but what I've learned is I go to them and I talk with them and very often I find that okay now I understand because I see from your perspective and then other times they've said okay I see your point that's a good point and so I've learned to speak with them nothing wrong with that that's the body of Christ people will say well the pastor said something and upset me I'm going to go to some other church I'm like the pastor said something that you upset you The pastor said, one thing that upset you? The pastor says, stuff that upsets me, like ten things every day. I I don't agree with lots of stuff that the pastor teaches. Lots of stuff. I don't even agree with everything that I teach. I don't. Sometimes I listen to my messages, I'm like, did I say that? I don't really, I don't really believe that. I mean, this is just life. What are you going to do with your spouse? You're going to walk out on them just because they said something you don't like? I'm out of here. No, this is a family. This is a body of Christ. You learn how to work together. You learn how to live together. This is the body of Christ. I don't abandon people. My wife and I have, so we've lived in several different states. We we met in New York. We Our our first married life was at Purdue University in in Indiana. Then we were at the University of Wisconsin, Stanford, taught at the University of South Carolina, been in Houston 23 years. We have never left a church. We've never left... A, a particular church, unless we've moved out of the state. Have things happened in churches? Yeah. We, we just work it out because we become a part of the family. We've seen lots of people come and go. They go to another church, they go to another one. 
I'm not saying what you have to do or not do. I am just saying from my own life because we are a part of a family. I've never walked out on my family. I've never walked out on my wife. She's never walked out on me. That's not something we do. We do not abandon people when they're having troubles. We understand this is a body of Christ. We are individually members of it. And we each have strengths. And we are going to serve in the body of Christ. From the day we came into this church... From the day we walked into this church and, and uh, we had checked out a few churches in town for, and, and um, uh, we started going to this church, the day we walked into this church, I started leading the college class. I attended the college class for the second time. Another guy was teaching it. After the second time I attended, he turned to me and says, do you want to lead this class? I talked to the pastor. was fine, lead it. Okay. I wanted to serve. I wanted to serve in the body of Christ. And Shireen immediately started cooking for the class and doing these things. We wanted to serve in the body of Christ. We knew already where our strengths were because we had been serving in other churches. And I tried different things. The first thing that I tried, believe it or not, was I tried the nursery. That's the first thing. When I was a teenager in the, in the, in the body of Christ, that's the first thing I tried. Well, I had set up chairs and doing that sort of thing, but they, they were looking for people to help out in the nursery. And I tried. I tried it. And, uh, um, and I was the only person in the nursery at this, this Christian conference. And, uh, the church was having a conference and, and, and nobody volunteered except me. So here's this, this, I think I was 19 years old at the time and I'm sitting in there and this one mother comes in bringing her little child and looked at me. Looked around, there was nobody else there, and she took her child and she left. And I don't blame her, I didn't know what I was doing. And as a parent, I know exactly what was going through her mind. And, and so, and then another woman brought her child, and her child was asleep, and so she set her on, on a little bed that was there, and she left, and then I pushed a dresser up against the bed because I didn't want the child to roll off. I don't I don't know what kids do. And so I put so they were kind of boxed in there, which I thought was pretty smart. About fifteen minutes later the mother was probably thinking, What have I done? And she came back. And uh she came and she saw her daughter. I said, oh yeah, I put that dresser there so she wouldn't roll off. She says, oh, okay. And she sat there and she and I talked the whole time. I mean, she wasn't going to leave her daughter. And I don't blame her. That woman ended up becoming my sister-in-law. And, and, uh, um, and, and that, that little girl, my niece. But in any case, that's where, that's where I started. And it's a good thing I didn't have to change any diapers because I would not know, have known what to do at all. I'm the youngest of three. <laughs> I didn't know how to deal with diapers. But you try different things in the body of Christ. We are, we each have gifts and we're, we're, we're individually members of it, but there's this body of Christ, he says in verse 5. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of it. There is a body of Christ that we have to learn how to function with. And what I have seen, I'll just give you my experience. When students do not learn to become part of a body of Christ, when they graduate, they flounder. Because they've never learned how to become part of a body of Christ. It is very important, even as students, to become part of a body of Christ. To become part of a local church. To understand the community. You want to see some real buzzing? You come here on a Wednesday night. You're going to see little kids. You're going to see senior adults walking with walkers and little kids barely being able to walk and kids not yet even walking. You are going to see the whole composite of life right here. In the body of Christ, you will see all of life. You will see the whole thing. 
You will see struggles that go on. You will hear, you'll get into different, different, uh, groups and you'll hear people struggling with, with different parts of life. I remember my, my, uh, my kids, I wanted them to learn from Dave Ramsey, you know, how to deal with finances. And we attended Dave Ramsey's classes where he was on, uh, some streaming or, no, we were just playing his CDs in a class and then we'd break up and we'd discuss. And I heard couples that were in their 50s and 60s and they had no money. And they were deep in debt. And you hear these struggles that were going on and you're like, Oh Lord, please keep me from becoming in debt like that. These people that were on the verge of retirement in their 60s and they were deeply in credit card debt. And you learn about that. And my kids were watching this and seeing this in real time. This is the body of Christ. We learn from one another and we learn things what not to do at times. We get instruction this way. I wanted my children to see this. This is the body of Christ. This is the strength of the local church. I urge you to become part of a local church and tie in there. If this is not the church for you, fine. Find a church that's for you and then lock in there. You're not always going to agree with the leadership. You're not going to agree with everything in the leadership. But become part of the body of Christ and learn what it is to be with people that don't always agree with you. And learn how to live with them and enjoy them, even though they don't always agree with you. We have people in this church that that can go from the full-on charismatic speaking in tongues to the people that believe that speaking in tongues is of the devil. We have all of that in this church. We do. And I can get along with all of them. I can get along with all of them. I understand the position of all of them. And I'm okay with that. I have my position, and and uh, I, I, I kind of sit, you know, I, I, I kind of it's a floating position. It, it goes whatever mood I'm in, but but so I understand that, and I'm okay with that. And and uh, I, I have we have people in this church that, that have far more respect for the gospels and the words of Jesus than for any other part of the Bible. I, I, I think that's a little off, but I'm okay. All right, you 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 want that? I'm okay with that. You don't always agree with everybody in the body of Christ. You won't always agree with your family. You won't always agree with your children. Do you always agree with your parents? I mean, you won't always agree with your children, but it's a body. It's a family. It's the body of Christ. And this is what he's getting at. Before he even starts addressing spiritual gifts, he says, we got to understand the body of Christ this year. If you are not a believer, I urge you to come and speak with me. We can take care of that very, very quickly. You come and speak with me. That very day, you'll become a believer in Jesus Christ and His physical resurrection. If you're online and you do not know the Lord, you send me an email to tour at drjamestour.org, tour at drjamestour.org, I will meet with you. And, and we'll get together. You become a believer that day. And you learn what the body of Christ is. Without having the power of God in your life, you will be unable to walk in the gifts that we're talking about. You will be unable to have your mind transformed. Because the Bible says, I don't say it, the Bible says you are enslaved to sin. You will be unable to change yourself. You'll just be able to do a head fake and change yourself for like a day. Now, you might be thinking, I'm a believer and I've done a lot of head fakes (laughs) and I haven't really changed myself. You have the very power to see your life transformed. You have that power now as a believer. And you will have victories in your life, and you will have failures in your life, and you will have more and more victories over time as you walk with the Lord. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank you so much for the Word of God, how it instructs us, how it counsels us and teaches us. 
Blessed be your name, O Lord. Blessed be your name. Thank you, O Lord, for the word of God, for all that you've given us. Father, I pray for this, these young people that you would transform their minds and they would prove what the will of God is as they start taking upon themselves the very practices that you would have them do. Father, that their lives would be changed and that would prove what the very will of God is, that which is good, that which is perfect. Father, I pray that you would, that which is honorable, that, that you would change their lives. And Lord, I pray for those that do not know you, <clears throat> that they would get saved. Father, that their hearts would bow to you <clears throat> and that they would get saved. Father, turn them to you, I pray. Turn them to you. Oh, Father, save souls. Save souls for the glory of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. Amen.